This morning, if you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to turn with us to Genesis chapter 15. Again, the first book of the Bible as we're making our way through this book. We are now to the 15th chapter, Genesis chapter 15. As you make your way there, I want to draw your attention to a young lady in the early 1900s by the name of Gladys Allward. Gladys Allward grew up desiring to be a missionary, specifically to the China Inland Mission. Unfortunately, Gladys Allward faced many obstacles to her faith and to what God was calling her to do. Specifically, those at China Inland Mission believed that she was too young to learn another language. And another obstacle that was in her path was they felt like she had too little education to go. But the object of her faith, the object of her faith, Almighty God, was greater than the obstacles of her faith. And so ultimately what she would do is is she began working, right, as a housemaid gathering funds, and one day she would take all that she had and buy a a train ticket over to China and make her way there. She began to serve in 1932 in a place of Yangqing, where she served with another older missionary and setting up what's known as the Inn of Eighth Happiness. You may have heard the movie based upon her life, The Inn of the Sixth Happiness. She also would work as a, for the Chinese government, as a foot, um, a foot inspector, yeah, she would, there was new laws enforcing that there was no, not going to be foot binding on the, the females in China anymore. And so she worked as a part of the government to go around and ensure that that was not taking place. Gladys Allward, guess what? Her story is one of constant obstacles. But ultimately, it's the object of her faith. It is Almighty God that captures well the truth for today. A sinner's only hope is to trust in God. A sinner's only hope is to trust in God. You see, Gladys, she faced obstacles just as Abram in our text today is going to face obstacles, just like we too face obstacles. And I think it boils down to this. We doubt. We doubt that God can really be trusted. Deep down, we wrestle with all of that. Can God really be trusted? And I think this was on trial today in our text in Genesis 15. Can God be trusted? And the refrain comes back that there is a hope for sinners, is that we trust in God, and it's trusting in God, it's faith in God that overcomes the obstacles that are before us. Today's text breaks into two sections, verses 1 through 6 and then 7 through 21. Both begin with God speaking, followed by Abram having some questions or doubts, and then God speaks or acts again, and ultimately there's this moment of of climactic moment of God being praised or worshipped or believed or trusted And this covenant coming to pass. But I think in the midst of that, we have some questions that we would like to answer. Like, what causes us to doubt God? How do we trust in God? And what assurance do we have that God will actually make good on his promises? So let's wrestle with these questions again as we think through this idea, a sinner's only hope. The first question comes, what causes us to doubt God? And the reality is that we all have obstacles to our faith. We all face many obstacles. Today's text, as it picks up here in Genesis chapter 15, is going to be the story, continuing the story of a man named Abram. And if you haven't been with us, and God made a promise to this man that was in a far off land. He says, hey, listen, I'm going to give you many descendants, and I'm going to give you this promised land. What we know is the area of Jerusalem today, and expounding north and south of that. But the problem was there were many other descendants there, and and other nations that were fortified, and it was tough and challenging And to make it even more tough, Abram has zero children. And God's made a promise that he's going to make his descendants many. And 
there's these moments of just obstacles to Abram's faith. And Genesis 15 kind of faces those for us. Again, these obstacles are our faith. So let's pick up, begin in verse 1 of Genesis 15. And again, I think we all face obstacles. And I think I'm going to throw two of them at you today from the text. And one is this. We fear the bad. We fear the bad. We all in this congregation deal with worry. Each of us, some of us more than others, but we all deal with worry and anxiety. We fear the bad. So listen to this, verse 1 of Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Did you hear it there again at the very moment, right? Fear not, which is often a refrain that's, that's stated, right? When an angel or the presence of God is, is there, there's this rightful fear of who God is. But I think maybe fear not has something more happening in Abram's life, given the context of what's just happened. But nonetheless, listen, I think Abram faces an obstacle that we all know too well. Worry, doubt, anxiety, right? These fears, they all culminate in our hearts and our minds. And he says to Abram, fear not. I mean, the truth is, it's not that we don't know we shouldn't worry. We all know that's true. And most of us, let's be honest, if we could ditch the worry like this coat right now, we would take it and chuck that thing as far away as possible. But I don't know about you, but my experience with worry and anxiety and fear, it's kind of like the gum on the bottom of your shoe. It just sticks with you. I mean, like you want to try to get rid of it, but the more you try, it seems to like multiply and get in the grooves. I mean, worry just seems to have this way of just like following us wherever we go. But the good news is God intends to break into Abram's worry and he intends to break into ours too. Listen to what happens again. I think just asking the question, what, what is driving Abram's fear here is an important thing to wonder. Notice what he says, fear not. Fear not, Abram. And notice what he says to him. I am your shield. What's interesting is this word shield that's used here is the same word that Melchizedek said back in the previous chapter, verse 20 of chapter 14, when he said that God is the one who has delivered your enemies into your hands. So I think the sense is that he's saying, fear not, Abram, I'll be your shield. Abram, just like I protected you before, I'll protect you again. Now that makes me a wonder, right? I mean, I think as we're reading this, wondering about the fact is, is Abram maybe fearful that these four kings that he just put to flight in the previous chapter and ran them out, are they going to all get back together and come back and come after him? He may be wondering and fearful of that. And maybe you've got some sense of worry, of fear, of things that maybe have happened. And is that going to come back? Is that right? Maybe you thought, hey, that diagnosis and that period of, of, of fighting that, that health issue was passed. And now here it comes. Or maybe you're wondering, will it come back again? Will we face this again? Or will we have these issues again in our marriage or our family? Things seem to be better now, but will this happen again? I think God's just reminding Abram, stop worrying. I'll protect you. I'll protect you. Maybe you just need to hear that today. And again, I'm going to get there, but man, the good news is, is for all of us who are children of Abraham, this, this is the promise in which we can treasure. That God, by faith, has become the one who shields us, who delivers us, who protects us. I don't know what you're facing today. But my guess is you've got some fears, some worries, some anxieties, some doubts in your life. Fear not, Abram. I'm your shield. So I think one of the obstacles we all face is, guess what? We fear the bad. But I think also on the other flip side of that is we often we doubt the good. We doubt the good. I, listen what he says. We doubt that God is, will do what he's promised or said he'll do. Look what he says. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Notice what he says to him here. 
your reward shall be very great. So it's not only just fearful of the bad, like, man, that, that, what, what if this season of the crops or whatever don't go the way I want? I think there's also some sense in which we also deal with doubting the good. Like, man, it was good then. Could it be this good again going forward or whatever we're, we're wrestling with? And listen to what Abram, I mean, he, he's, he's got some doubts. Listen to what it says. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue what, church? Childless. And the heir of my house, he says, is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram says further, look, he says further, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Abram is struggling. Hear it in his question, right? I mean, he says to him first, he says simply there, look, he says, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? I continue childless. And then he says, Behold, you've given me no offspring. God, God you're promising that I'm going to have this great reward. I, I hear that, God. I hear it in your word, but I'm, I'm struggling to believe it. It's true. Now, again, we think about the fact of having children, right? This offspring. Why? Well, it was important. It was the only way to carry on your family name. And, but it was more than that. I mean, listen, there was no nursing homes. There's no like, long-term care facilities or people that provided that. And that day and time, your only hope of survival as you got older was your children, and you needed people to help provide and work the land for you. And so this is some sense of Abram saying, listen, man, the only real chance I got God right now must be Eleazar of Damascus. It's this servant that's in my house. He's going to be the one that's going to inherit my property and possessions. I think we all get this, don't we? I'm like, some way this, this text preaches. Like, this is application like This is low shelf stuff, right? Our worries and doubts may look different than Abram's, but we worry. Some of you this morning, you're worried about school. Or getting that job or the recent diagnosis, the family tension, or your child that's struggling. Or maybe you fear, will I continue to be healthy even in old age? But at the core, I think every struggle, every doubt, worry, fear is really one core issue. God, can I really trust you? And whatever I'm facing right now, God, can I really trust you? And the scripture says again and again that we should trust God. But the truth is, just like the people in the scriptures, we don't. And I think it reveals something bigger that's happening in our hearts below the surface. And that just like Abram, we are sinners who believe that if we don't get out of this bad situation, right, or if we are to get out of this bad situation, it'll be because we did it. And if things in this life are actually to go good, it's because, you know what, I did that. And if I'm to inherit eternal life, it's because I did that. In other words, behind our fear and behind our doubts and behind our anxiety is a failure to trust God. Why? Because we think it's safer to trust ourselves. And that's the sin issue that's poking out from this text. And that's the sin issue that's poking behind every worry and fear and anxiety that's driving you and me crazy. It's robbing our nights. We're struggling to sleep. It's the tension in our families. It's, it's this sense of like, you know what? If things are going to go good, I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to make the way. I'm going to have to solve this. I'm, I'm, beloved, here fresh and anew. Fear not. Maybe you ought to place your name, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what? Dude, I'm, I'm with you. Like the, I, the fear, the worry, the anxiety, it's killing me. It's crushing me. I'm there. Is there another way? Is there another way that I could live? Is there some other way I could live differently? I think it's a great question to ask. And I think it brings our second point. How do we trust in God? 
In other words, he is the object of our faith that overcomes the obstacles to our faith. So whatever obstacles that you're facing, God is the object. He is the one. And so, again, we're asking that question, how do we trust in God? Listen, what will overcome Abram's obstacles of worry and doubt and fear? It's the same that overcomes ours. It's hearing God's word. That's what's so valuable that you're here right now, this moment. You're hearing God's word. What can overcome your worries and your fears and your anxieties and sleepless nights? And it's just eating you alive. It's trusting in God, beloved. It's hearing God's word. Listen to what happens here this morning. Beginning in verse 4 of Genesis 15. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. That's just good news, isn't it? That in the midst of worry, doubt, fear, anxiety, God doesn't draw away from us. He comes near. Is that not beautiful? And the word of the Lord came to him. Wow. He says, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, said to him, so shall your offspring be. Right. He, he, look, he says in chapter 12, he promised to make him a great nation. But now he's making a specific say, listen, it's, it's not going to be right. Eleazar or anyone else in your household. It's going to be a son that's going to come from from you and Sarah. That, that's where it's going to come. And so uh, we know that Abram must be struggling here. And so he leaves somewhere. It appears that he walks outside of his tent and he says, look up to the heavens and count the stars. And maybe you imagine Abram's like, well, one, two, there's three, four, five, six, like. Like, God, there's, there's, there's no way. Doesn't that seem to be the point? Ah, Abram, now you're getting it. So shall your offspring be. What's happening in this moment? God's getting Abram's focus off of all the obstacles that are before him and onto the object of his faith. He's saying, get your eyes Stop fixating them on everything that's before you and fix your eyes on what not is what is seen, but what is unseen. For what's seen, he says to Paul, says the church at Corinth, that's temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. We've got to fix our hearts and our eyes there. Who is it? It's there. It's this sovereign God of the universe. It's what the text has been unfolding there in verse 2. But he said, oh, Lord God, he's saying, oh, sovereign God. He says, well, you're calling me by the right names. You, you can sing the songs this morning about me, but you, you need to tell your heart and your mind to trust what you're singing and what your ears are hearing others sing. Do you believe it? Indeed, it's Melchizedek called him in Genesis 14, last chapter. He is God most high. He is the possessor of heaven and earth. It is as Psalm 147 says that God numbers the stars and he calls them each by name. That's who this God is. In other words, church, the presence of God, indeed the word of God, is the place that the fears, worries, anxieties, and obstacles in our lives go to die. That's the place. You'll never figure it out on your own. You'll never have the strength to overcome it. The fears, the anxieties, the worries, the place they die, beloved, is in the presence of God. When we entrust them to Him, they're too much for us. They crush us. We might wonder, well, what will Abram's response be to this climactic moment? Will he trust God? And beloved, in verse 6, we have one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. In fact, in verse 6 of Genesis 15, you have a text 
that much the rest of the Bible builds off of. Listen to this. It's simple. It's short. It's sweet. And he and Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So look at this. Abram believes. He believes in the Lord. The word for belief is the word trust. It's the word for faith. And we might ask, well, what is the object of his faith? Who is he trusting in? He's, He's trusting in the Lord. And what makes this, in fact, a moment of faith, a moment of trust? Well, guess what? Every promise that God's just made, they're all future. Like, he, hasn't, he doesn't have a child yet. He doesn't have the land yet. Everything that he's trusting God for today hasn't come yet. That's why it's a moment of faith. He's, 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 he's trusting God not by what he sees, but what he doesn't see. Notice again, he says, look what he says here. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. The word righteous indicates that it's, it's perfect obedience to God's law. Consider that. It's perfectly, again, thinking the words, using the words of Genesis, it's perfectly imaging God. That's what righteousness is, perfect righteousness. And here's the truth we know. Abram has already shown he isn't perfectly righteous. I mean, we've seen him deceiving and lying. And guess what? In future chapters, you'll see more of that. Abram isn't like counted righteous because, oh man, he's got it all together. In fact, Abram's a sinner like us. That's what we need to ask. Is this really true? Will God really accept people, unperfect people like me and like Abram on the basis of faith? The Bible's answer is yes. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 4, beginning verse 22. He literally says this. Look what he says. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Listen to this. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but what, church? For ours also. Paul has just taken the text you've just read in Genesis 15, 6, and he says, you know what? That wasn't just a word to Abram. This is also a word to us. Listen to what he says. It will be counted to him. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Paul says these words weren't for him alone. Right? He says, listen, but notice it's important, right? He says, guys, listen, but the words, it was counted to him. It's an accounting word, a financial word. He's saying, listen, something's happening. God looks on the unrighteous who are putting their faith and trust in him, and he counts, Paul says, ultimately, he counts Christ's perfect life to us. It's the ultimate debit and credit, right? Our sinful way is debited, taken from us, and Christ's perfect righteousness is credited to us, and that happens by faith. By faith. By trust. By belief. And he says, listen, all of this ultimately finds itself in the death and the resurrection of Christ. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses. So the reason why he died is because of our sin, not his own. He has no sin of his own to die for. He's dying for our sin, our trespass. The word trespass is to intentionally know what God's word is and step on it. Who cares what God says? I'll do what I want, what, I, what satisfies me. That is trespassing. It's stepping over God's word intentionally. It is high-handed treason to the God of the universe. And it's damnable for every single boy and girl, man and woman in this congregation this morning. 
We might hear anew the words of that crazy preacher in the wilderness. The axe is already at the foot of the tree. It was a warning to all of us not to hear this word and brush past it on our way with a busy day. But to stop and pause and contemplate for these final few moments your own eternity, beloved. He was delivered up for our trespasses. And notice what what Paul says here. He was raised, why church? For our justification. The resurrection of Christ was a declaration that God had accepted that payment and he was satisfied. Beloved, he will take no other. Empty to that cross I cling, right? There's nothing, right? I come to, there's nothing in our hands. There's nothing to give to God. The only thing that will satisfy a holy and righteous God is the precious life of Jesus Christ. Put your faith and trust in him. Might we ask, why? Why does God do this? Why is God crediting unrighteous sinners and declaring them as righteous as His holy, only begotten Son? Why is He doing that? Was Paul, or as Todd, as Paul preached, and Todd preached Paul's words in Ephesians 1, to the praise of His glorious grace. That for all eternity, beloved, you and I will be praising and worshiping this God who has credited us as righteous. Unholy as we are, all the ungodly things that you and I have said or done or thought this past week, put on Him and His righteousness is put on us. Do you feel good in that cloak this morning, beloved? Man, that feels good. It fits. God is in, beloved, in doing this. Listen, He's revealing to us this is the greatness of His love. This is how He loves us. Come on, you need to hear this this morning. Some of you, you're feeling so unlovable. You feel so dirty. This is God's love to you poured out. He loves you. He's given His only begotten Son that you might be counted righteous as He is righteous. This is the hope of the Gospel. And ultimately, it magnifies the greatness of our God. That's why we must bring this gospel to the nations, beloved. That's why we must bring this gospel to Cowdays. We must. So might in light of this passage this morning, just maybe asking you, in what ways do you need to trust God today? For some of you, again, that's going to be coming to Him, calling out to that mercy and grace for forgiveness. For others, trusting God is going to involve praying and looking to Him to bring back that wayward child. Right For others of you as believers, it's going to be stop trying to gain your righteous standing with God by works. That the weeks that you have good weeks, you come in here and you feel like, man, I'm really good to worship this week. The week that you have a bad week, you feel like, man, I'm so unworthy. And once I finally get it back together, then I'll be able to sing again. Then I'll be able to pray again. Then I'll be able to serve again. No, that's works. We come in here based upon grace. That's an exhausting way to live. That's what Christ has saved you from. My goodness, that's a yoke of slavery that, as it's, it's, it's the Word of God says, neither the people of the Old Testament nor we can bear. Who can carry that weight? Christ said His yoke is easy, beloved, and His burden is light. Start trusting in His righteousness alone and not yours. Might this text remind us to trust in God no matter what happens in America? 
Things may not tick the way that you want them to or be trending the way that you hope they will. Beloved, we are strangers and exiles here. This is not our home. Let us get our peace and our joy not from the evening news, but from the fresh Word of God. Amen? This is the hope that we have. See, church, what I'm trying to say is to you and to my own soul, I may have doubts and fears. And my eyes be filled with tears. But Jesus is a friend who watches day and night. I go to him in prayer. He knows my every care. And help me out, church. And just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Maybe this morning you need to have a little talk with Jesus. Before you rush back out to your life and on your way. This morning, just a little talk with Jesus. About your fears and your worries and your anxieties and burdens. And cast them upon him. I think that brings us to our third and last question. What assurance does God provide when we trust in him? And ultimately the answer is himself. This is a longer section. I'm going to be briefer here. There's much we could say about it. But God's listening. He's going to assure Abram of the outcome. He's going to say, Abram, you'll put your faith and trust in me. I want to let you know this is my covenant with you. This is my agreement with you. So here now I'm going to read this text and I'm going to make just some brief comments about it. Begin in verse 7. And he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So God's making this promise. I'm going to give you the land. Listen to Abram again. He responds with some doubt or some question. Oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I'll show, I shall possess it? And God says to him in verse 9, Bring me a heifer three, year, three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Further, verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And they will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I'll bring judgment on the nation, speaking of the nation of Egypt, that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be, should be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces of the animals, right? So you can imagine this animals on both sides, and this flaming fire pot goes down the middle between them. On that day, the Lord, verse 18, made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river to e- of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kamadites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Geshites, and the Jebusites. He's made his promise. Hey, this is what I'm going to do. I think some way in this text right here we wrestle a little bit with the fact that there's a lot of waiting happening, right? I mean, some ways faith is difficult because it's waiting. I mean, contemplate the waiting that's happening in this text this morning as you think about some waiting that you're dealing with. Abram's waiting on a son. The people are going to spend 400 years in Egypt waiting on God to ultimately deliver them so they can inherit this land that was promised to Abram. Furthermore, look, look what you have there in, um, in verse 16. There's more waiting. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. There's some sense in which, guess what? The sins of the people of the land of Canaan, guess what? It hasn't come to its fulfillment yet. God is being patient with them. As Mark was telling us at the beginning this morning, There's some sense in which God's patience is there waiting for these people. But they resist him. 
And ultimately the axe will fall on that tree. Again, this is part of what faith looks like. Faith is waiting. I don't know what you're wrestling with, but beloved, that's part of faith. It's waiting for that good news to come. It's waiting for God to act on that behalf. In some sense, we may need to ask, when will the iniquity of the Americans be complete? Because there came a time, right, when the Amorites and all those in the land, it, remember he says, listen, you're not getting this land because you're more righteous than them. Their, their sin had come to its fullness, right? In some sense, that's what the stories throughout history are. That each climactic monarchy and, and others, right, these great civilizations rise and then they fall. But again, as people of faith, we're waiting for a future kingdom. But I think, again, this text here of this this promise of this covenant is not only about how the Old Testament will unfold. Yes, it's not only about understanding God's faithfulness to his promise. I think understanding this covenant also reminds us of the gospel. Remember back in verse 8, Abram had asked, he says, listen, God. He says, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And then this covenant ceremony happens. And in verse 10, we hear about the fact he's going to right cut them in half. And they're going to lay each animal there. And then verse 17 talked about how the smoking fire pot was going to go down the middle. We might wonder, what in the world is going on here? Well, the smoke and fire are symbolic throughout the Old Testament of representing God. Think about him on Mount Sinai or how he leads the people on the pillar of fire. But when the, the pot passes between the people, it represents God walking in the middle of this covenant. And even that seems weird until we read passages like Jeremiah thirty-four eighteen. Listen to what the Lord says here. And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between its parts. Here's what this is saying to us today. God is saying, if I do not keep this covenant, then the curse will be upon me and I'll be torn in pieces. That's the promise that he gives to him. God, can I trust you? And he says, listen, I'll be the one. And what we know is throughout the Bible, what we don't see is, guess what? The people of God trust in Him. Time and time again, they fail Him. And we might be wondering, well, when when they be torn to pieces? But guess what? Not Abram, ultimately, not even his descendants. But ultimately, a son of Abraham did come. A son of Abraham who came, and guess what? He was the one who was cursed. He was the one who was, as the word of our prophet Isaiah says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The words of Hebrews says that he has now become the curtain that was torn open for us. It is his body, his flesh. It is him who took the curse. It is him who stood in our place, owing the debt that we owe to God. And beloved, we by peace now can walk into the presence of God, not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. This is the promise of God of faith to Abram and all who are children of Abraham who will believe and trust. I wonder, how does that move you? Gladys Allward, who we started with this morning, guess what? It moved her. It was during World War II when the Japanese invaded China that she took over a hundred orphans. And the road became passed and she had to head through the mountains. And she led them through the mountains, ultimately getting them to safety. Although she desired to go back to China, the communists were were ruling over. And so, therefore, guess what? She made her way to Taiwan. And she spends the rest of her days serving orphans and ministering to the least of these and sharing the good news of the gospel. Why? Because the object of her faith was greater than the obstacles of her faith. This gospel, this salvation moved her heart. Her faith, like the faith of Abraham, wasn't put on a shelf. 
I wonder, do you need to put feet to your faith this morning? What will you do in response to the grace and mercy of God? To the unbelievers in this room. Abram desired a son. And guess what? It took away all of his comfort. Even though everything else was being provided, guess what? We can understand that from our own experience, can't we? Loss can feel so crushing it seems like nothing else in life matters. Uh, you, you and I may know well Abram's hurt, but I pray even more we know his hope. Today's text reminds us that God does not run from us in the midst of our doubts and fears. No, beloved, he runs to us. This morning, I don't know what your doubts and fears and worries are, but I want you to know that you can trust yourself to the Lord. Not just for what's going to happen tomorrow, beloved. I'm telling you about tomorrow's tomorrow, eternity. The salvation of your soul today. That you can be at peace with God through Jesus Christ alone. It can be counted to you this morning. Listen, I'm speaking to you this morning from the Word of God. It can be counted to you as righteousness. Trusting in Christ and not your own good works. That sand, that ground is sinking sand. It's only one firm foundation. It is God and His Word. To the church this morning, this text rings true in our hearts because we also know what makes faith difficult. Waiting. You see, just as the people there in Genesis 15 are waiting on these future promises, we too find ourselves waiting. Waiting for the day when our Savior will return with the ones whom we love who died in Christ, and they shall return. Waiting for the prayers that we are praying now that indeed one day His kingdom will come. We are waiting now for the songs that we sing that one day we shall sing them on that other shore. We are waiting now in the words that we are sharing with others that they too might come to know the Savior whom we love and proclaim unto them. Beloved, I compel you in light of Genesis 15 this morning, hold fast. Do not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the truth of this gospel. Thank you, Lord, that even our, our faith, it's not about having perfect enough faith. Thank you, Lord, that you see our weak and failing faith. And in your mercy and grace, you count it as righteousness. Thank you, God, that it's Christ's righteousness. It's him that's perfect, not us. So even our faith, God, we just confess it to you. It's weak, Lord. It's frail. It's it just. But you will hold us fast. You will lose none of those whom you have taken as your own. Lord, we just want to say thank you today. We ask that you would increase our faith. That we would this morning have a little talk with Jesus. That we would bring our fears and our worries and our doubts and our anxieties and everything else that grips our hearts and minds this morning and just come to you. Father, thank you that we have this time. Thank you I have your word to proclaim unto these people For these words are the words of eternal life. Father, let them not refuse them. Let them and my own soul not turn away. Let the grace and mercy of God flow upon us. Thank you, Lord, for your word and your kindness to us in your son, Jesus. In his glorious name we pray. Amen.